Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. If you don't know me, my name's Britt. I'm, uh, I serve the church here as a lead pastor. So if you're joining us online or right here on our campus, we're just so thrilled that you're part of what we're doing here today. Uh, today we have like uh, one of those tougher topics to talk about. We're going to talk about conflict, which I, I don't know if you noticed that that was right there in the scripture reading today. You know, interpersonal conflict is really hard. You know, it's probably one of the most st- stressful things that you or I can do in our lives. And because it is stressful, most of us avoid it. Uh, even for those that don't avoid it, it's still really stressful because it can go wrong in so many different ways. And we tend to do conflict in so many unhealthy ways. And then even if we do it the best we can, um, a lot of times the conflict doesn't end the way that we want it to end. And so then we feel like failures. And the problem is conflict is common. So what does that mean about how we're feeling most of the time? Not good. Uh, partly, partly it's common because we're just human beings, right? We're messy and that happens, but, um, it's also just a part of life. It's normal. And, but even though it's normal, uh, often it is not good. And I know that what we're going to talk about today is something that, uh, we can all relate to whether you're a Christian or not. I'd be willing to bet a lot, a lot of money that, um, right now, just me mentioning, and we're going to talk about conflict you're probably thinking of some in your not-too-distant uh, past that it didn't go so great. Um, and so, so because of that, most of us, we, we want to do this well. And um, so here we are reading this book called Acts, which is the history of the church, which isn't it interesting what ends up in the, the big picture, the history of the church? Of all the things that were going on, we get this little section that talks about a personal conflict between two godly people. We've also said that Acts isn't just the history of the church, it's our story. And we've seen that Luke gives us the story straight. Our story is filled with imperfect people, and so was theirs. Um, and Luke, though, in giving it straight to us, he, he, he gives us hope because we see how God can break through in some of those broken places and his grace can be a part of those painful moments. Now, in Acts 15 that we started last week, we see two disputes or conflicts. We could actually retitle Acts 15 the dispute chapter. The background here is that for the bulk of what we looked at last week, chapter 15, uh, Luke describes how the church found a resolution to a doctrinal dispute. And Paul and Barnabas, who were just in the reading today, um, they were part of that resolution. And as it comes out, as they cooperate and uh, collaborate together, they come out with a solution to that doctrinal difference that um, is harmonious. 
and the churches uh, reached this compromise, and it was great for them. Uh, Luke says that everybody was glad and encouraged. And through that process, Paul and Barnabas are like peanut butter and jelly. They're working side by side. And now they're getting ready to head out on another missionary journey. This is going to be trip two, and they have this personal dispute. And have you ever noticed that, like, right after, right after a great victory or after, or like, if something really important is coming up, something like this happens? Is that just me? Like, something bad happens right after the great victory? Or is that just my negativity coming through? Um, today, we're going to look at that conflict. And so, first of all, we're going to talk about, get a picture of what happened and why. And I want to tell you, that I think you're going to have mixed emotions about what happened. You're probably going to want to take one side or the other. And you're probably going to feel both good and bad as we talk about this interpersonal conflict that they have. Bad because it's really sad. I mean, it's, it's sideways energy to what God was doing. And uh, it might even make you think about some of your personal conflict failures. But it's also going to make you feel good because you're going to see that you're not the only one who has a story like this. And uh, good because even though conflict is hard, uh, we're going to see how the Bible gives us answers. It provides guidance of how to do these everyday things in life. And we're going to see how God's grace can even break through in our most broken places. You guys ready? So let's jump in. As Brian just read, they have a great idea, Paul and Barnabas. Let's go back through to all the churches that we visited in our first trip, our first missionary trip. And this conflict is happening just before trip two, when they're going to go out again. That's the plan anyway, which we're going to cover next week. And one of our elders, David Williams, is going to be teaching next week. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear David. He taught during COVID, when we were outside and pre-recording, and I've asked him to talk about this second trip that Paul takes uh, throughout the known world at that time. But before we jump into the story, I want to just either introduce or reintroduce you to a couple of people. First of all, there's Paul. You might be familiar with him, but he's also known as Saul. He's a former Pharisee uh, and a persecutor of Christians who converted to Christianity. That was in Acts chapter 9. Jed talked about that. And now he's leading what are the, the greatest missionary efforts in the first century for the church. And then there's Barnabas, who's part of this story too. And if you recall, the disciples or the apostles nicknamed, nicknamed him a son of encouragement. And he first appears early in Acts where he sells his property to help poor believers in Acts 4. He mentored Paul and inv after his conversion and invited him, in, invited him in, in to assist in Antioch with the new believers. But now we're going to meet another co-worker with Paul, and that's in verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. And this is John Mark, as Luke refers to him. He wrote the Gospel of Mark, and he is a companion he was a companion with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary trip, and that's going to play into the story. You know, the Bible never, 
you know, he's never called John Mark by somebody in conversation. Uh, Luke is simply kind of like separating him out, dis- distinguishing him from all the other Johns. We've talked about how there's so many Marys, so many Herods, so many Johns. This, this helps you figure out which John they're talking about. This is John Mark, and he's first mentioned in Acts 12 when Peter is in prison. And if you remember this part of Acts, he, he's miraculously released, an earthquake. He walks out of prison, and he shows up at a house where, where believers are having a prayer meeting for him. And that house that he goes to is uh, Mary's house, the mother of John Mark. So that's the first mention that he gets. And it's, it makes perfect sense for Barnabas to suggest John Mark as a traveling companion as they get ready to go out on this second journey. Um, <clears throat> but you've heard the saying before, um, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's not true if it happened in Pamphylia, evidently, uh, because here it is, right there, preserved by the Holy Spirit in Scripture for all eternity, in verse 38, Paul did not think it wise to take John Mark because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So Paul here says this is a bad idea. Not like bad as in unwise as, you know, there might be a better decision, you know, there might be somebody else better for us to take longest trip, more strategic or whatever. No, uh, the, how Luke puts it, Paul describes what John Mark did as deserting them. Um, So why in the world would we take that wimp with us on this trip? So why such strong words? Something happened on that trip. And it uh, it gives Paul heartburn to think about working in companionship with uh, John Mark. He describes it as desertion. So I don't know if you remember or not. I'm sure you remember like everything that I say from my sermons. And I, at one point, I tapped my foot and I said, remember this name, remember this event. I won't ask for a raise of hands. You're like, I don't remember, Britt. Um, in trip one in Acts 13, 13, this is where it happened. And this is all Luke tells us. From Paphos, uh, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. John Mark. It's super early in that first missionary journey, and uh, they had just gotten started. And Luke doesn't tell us why he left. Maybe he was homesick. Uh, maybe he had a family crisis that he heard about. Maybe he got scared and couldn't hack missionary life. Maybe his mom called. We don't know, but if we fill in the blanks, we know uh, that things right after John Mark got really, really hard. And uh, they had to run for their lives at least once. And if you remember, Paul was stoned, pummeled with rocks, and left for dead. So wouldn't that kind of like make, it, make all that stick out in your mind that this, that this guy left just before all these bad things happened? So it would make you feel like he deserted And Paul's probably feeling, it's like, this guy hung me out to dry, and you can't count on him in a pinch. And if that's true, then it kind of makes sense that he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want him along. Doesn't it to you guys? Does it make sense? It does to me. 
And in Paul's mind, um, John Mark abandoned him in this way, and because of that, he no longer trusted him. And, you know, as you read this, it just doesn't seem to be as big a deal to Barnabas, and that causes the rift between the two of them. And Luke, Luke is even more transparent than perhaps he needs to be about this conflict. In verse 39, he says, they, that is Paul and Barnabas, had such sharp disagreement that they parted company. Now, this phrase, sharp disagreement, is where we get the word paroxysm. You know, like to have a convulsion, it means to have a fit. Uh, Luke has to call it sharp disagreement because they're Christians, but they really were screaming at each other. That's, that's what it's saying. And so they have this huge fight. It's a big blowout. And so here's, you know, picture it from their different perspectives. You know, Paul is saying, there's no way this guy is going with us. He jacked us over and he left us hanging. And Barnabas is thinking, man, can't you cut the guy some slack? Everybody makes mistakes. And, you know, if you remember, nobody trusted you at first either, Paul, and I stood with you. And then you wonder, is John Mark even, is he there when they're having this argument about him? Certainly he hears about it, right? And so that's got to make him feel super uncomfortable. And then the end result is Barnabas takes Mark and sails for Cyprus, and then Paul chooses Silas, and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So they split up. They go their separate ways. They're both still doing God's work, but not together. And that's our passage for today. So what do you think about that? I mean, what, what can we bring forward here in 2022 as residents who live in the uh, Temecula Valley or those of you who are watching online, different places in the country, how does this apply to us 2,000 years later? Remember at the beginning of my message, I said that you're going to have mixed emotions about what happened. Do you? How many of you have mixed emotions when you look at this conflict? How many of you really don't care? You're just like, uh, can we just go to lunch, Britt? I saw that hand. I said that you're probably going to want to take one side or the other. So how many of you say, you know, I'm with Barnabas on this one? Raise your hand. Come on, don't be shy. There's not a bad answer here. How many of you say, I'm with Paul on this one? Okay. Some of you are still afraid to answer. I said that we're, you're probably going to feel both good and bad about this conflict because it's really sad. It's sideways energy. Anybody think it's sideways energy for what they're trying to do? Okay, this is, this is the participation part of the message, by the way. Um, maybe, maybe you feel bad because it just reminds you of some conflicts that you've had recently and they didn't go so good. And it's just sad to think that two good people can't get along, right? They can't do this thing together. Uh, but it's good because now we see we're not the only ones with those stories, right? Like how many of you feel a little better just knowing that? Come on, you can be honest about that. 
I do. Um, and maybe feel good a little, a little better because you see, even for people who love God in the first century, the uh, conflict was hard. And yet we see God breaking through. So what can we learn when it comes to interpersonal conflict? I don't know where your personal tensions are coming from in relationships, but uh, here's my big idea for today. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Interpersonal conflict offers up some of the greatest opportunities to grow and to shine the light of God's grace. There's, when we're in interpersonal conflict, there's internal work that God's doing with us. He's teaching us things about ourselves, about others, about God. But then there's also the external work that God is doing. When people do this well, in the name of Jesus, um, it has an effect on people around them. I mean, God shapes us through conflict. Like, like a diamond is formed under pressure, so our character is as well. And, you know, it doesn't really matter if your name is Barnabas or John or Paul or Brit. God uses these moments in our lives. And, you know, the complete opposite can be true of this opportunity that conflict gives us. Another way we could write this main point would be this. Interpersonal conflict offers up some of the greatest opportunities to reinforce immature, destructive relational behaviors and to utterly embarrass us and the cause of Christ. So we don't want that, right? So let's, let's pick another one. Let's pick the, the winner in this, okay? And uh, so I have three questions for us to consider when it comes to interpersonal conflict. We're going to bring the story in and different scriptures uh, from your Bible. The first question we can ask in a conflict is, am I submitted to the Lordship of Christ? That's the very first question that we should ask when we're in conflict with someone. Because most of us, what are the questions we're asking? Like how right we are, how wrong they are, categorizing how many ways they're wrong, you know, making the list. Paul, one of the people involved in this conflict, in a letter that he wrote to the church in Galatia, he said this in, Galatia, in Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and have crucified them there. I wonder when I read that if he doesn't have at least, this is not just one of the stories in his mind when he talks about nailing our passions to the cross. In his book, um, Making Peace, Jim Van Yipperen says that uh, when an issue of conflict arises, it's best to start by making three assertions, which I think contribute to establishing Jesus' lordship in our lives. When conflict arises, assume this, in order to put Jesus in, as Lord in your life. Number one, I don't know what the problem is. Start there. I don't know what the problem is. Even if you think you know, think about the last conflict where you were in. Didn't you already know what the, what the problem was? Instead, start with the assumption that you're wrong. Van Yipperen says that by assuming that we know 
what the problem is. It keeps us from the fundamental issue that God wants us to work on. There are all kinds of times when I thought I knew um, what the issue was when I was involved in a conflict. I thought, well, they want to hurt me. They, uh, they want to get over me. And I did nothing to cause this. That's, kind of, that's where, maybe I'm just telling myself, but it's kind of where my mind goes. And you know, the truth is, you could be right. If you, you, you might be right that they're the problem and that, and that you know the whole problem. You've, you've figured it all out. But part of allowing Jesus to be Lord in our life is to just like open ourselves up the idea or the concept that we don't really know what the problem is. Second assertion uh, Van Ippren says we should make is that I must be contributing to the conflict somehow. I must be contributing to it somehow. As you stand back and you look at the conflict between Paul and Barnabas, can you see how they're both contributing to it? They're both part of this do you think that if someone deserts a team in the middle of a crisis, that that's going to have implications that are righteous? Should, don't you think that Barnabas should understand that? Or do people make mistakes and then learn from them? Apparently John Mark does, because we're going to see that in a few minutes as we continue to go through some passages. And isn't it true that Paul should apply some grace here to this issue? See, if there is an issue between two people, it's likely that we're both contributing to the problem. And you know, that's reinforced in the Bible, often. I'll give you one. In James 4.1, James writes, What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? See, we might be contributing to the conflict. There may be some other cause, there might be a root cause that the other person is guilty of, that starts the whole matter. But also our reactions can contribute to that conflict as well. Let me ask you, those of you who are parents, do you ever break up an argument between your kids and then uh, make them both stand in front of each other and apologize to each other because you saw how they were both wrong? They both contributed to the little spat that was going on in the house. Do you think that that's just a kid issue or do, are adults the same way? Yeah. Assuming that we have some part in this, uh, enables God to show us our blind spots. In Psalm 19:12, the psalmist says, but who can discern their own errors? It's hard to see our own. Forgive my hidden faults. So we have hidden faults, but not just hidden to others that we might bury, but hidden from us as well. Remember, Jesus talked about having a plank in your eye, trying to pick the speck out of someone else's 
Um, I'm submitting myself to the Lordship of Christ. If, if I'm willing to humble myself before him and ask, what, what's my part? I don't know about you, but when I hear that, even with my own voice saying it, um, I get the yeah buts. You know, like, yeah, but, yeah, but. I'm worried about I'm going to be a doormat. I'm going to be taken advantage of. And, and sometimes that's a factor. Let's be honest. But if we can at least own our part in this, um, even if the other person doesn't, whether it's your spouse, a person you work with, your neighbor, if, you, if we can just own our part and they don't, it allows us to live out what Paul talks about in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, do as much as you can. It, it doesn't guarantee that there will be peace, but do as much as you possibly can to make that be a reality. And um, the third assertion is that the problem that is surfaced is likely not the fundamental problem. So the thing that you see isn't always the thing that is really the issue. We have a saying in our household, I don't know if I made it up, honestly, or someone told it to me and I forgot, but it's a saying in the Sipe household, the thing is usually not the thing. Does that connect with you or you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. The thing is not the thing. That is, the issue that is stated or defined is often not the real issue. It's really something else deeper. You think that that person that at work doesn't like you, but because you have this, con this conversation with them and you know, it just seems like they're giving off these negative vibes to you, but what you don't know is like they're just happy, unhappy overall. Uh, they don't like anybody. It's not just you, because their spouse is an alcoholic and is cheating on them all the time. And they're carrying all this stuff, and they have, or they have chronic pain, and it affects their moods. Or maybe they've had experiences in their life that just led them to be cynical and negative. It's like, we don't, we don't know. Or um, this is one that I'll have to imagine completely, but um, your, your wife gets upset at you because you're late from work. Cindy's not here today, so we're going to cut that part from the video. Um, but what I've learned is sometimes we're not arguing about what I thought we were arguing about. Um, it's not the issue that, uh, that you're 30 minutes late from work. It's that she feels ignored and taken for granted and that you're constantly focused on all the crises at work and not the ones at home. And she's been taking care of the kids the whole time you've been gone on a trip. And she's just been there dealing with everything that's going on in the household. And you haven't even had a one-on-one -on -one date with one another in like eight years because you just have these kids growing up. And so that's all part of the picture. Does that make sense? So the thing isn't the thing. And when, we, when we're submitted to the Lordship of Christ, we, we give God space to do work that, he, that normally we wouldn't. In Galatians 5.13,
Paul writes, For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So, Maybe I'm right, maybe, maybe I have every right to be right, maybe I'm focused on my rights, but Paul says don't, don't use that freedom to satisfy something in ourselves. That's what Jesus calls us to do. And when I'm in conflict under the lordship of Christ, that means that I can choose to respond like Jesus, not like Brit. Second question to ask, and these won't be as long as the first one, so hang with me here. Am I demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit? Conflict is a great revealer of what's going on inside us, right? So, like, we've done this, I've done this illustration before, but, like, I have my Sunridge water bottle because I'm very environmentally uh, conscious, and our water is great out of these machines here, by the way. That's just an advertisement, drink our water. And, uh, but like when, you, when something happens, you get rattled, right? And what comes out? What's inside? That's, so it's an indicator of what we've been carrying inside. And that's why Paul writes in Galatians 5.16, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You ever feel that battle going on inside you between your sinful nature and the Holy Spirit? And your last conflict, when you got rattled, what spilled out? the Holy Spirit, or your sinful nature. You're not sure how to tell? Let's read on. Verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility. No, that's not what came out, Britt, in my fight. Okay, but let's keep reading, okay? In the same list, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, all sinful nature. And if you contrast that, as you read on, this is the way Paul says it, but, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what, what's shaken out? Is the Holy Spirit present in this conflict? Then Paul says, since we are living by the Spirit, let let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Anybody getting sweaty palms right now? A while ago, I quoted David French, um, author, uh, columnist, Christian lawyer, podcaster, who was talking about conflict, and he said, conflict is very good for us if the Holy Spirit is present. And if not, the conflict will not be good. So it's kind of up to us. 
And that's true in these two conflicts we see in the dispute chapter, Acts 15. Last week, we looked at that doctrinal dispute, which could have gone horribly wrong, right? But it goes well. And uh, here, we're looking at a personal conflict that doesn't go so well. So what's different? Notice what is said about that doctrinal dispute in Acts 15, 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. And to us, not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. So can you see how, in the midst of them trying to hammer out a, a, a doctrinal agreement, the Holy Spirit was part of that process? Do you see anything like that mentioned in the conflict between Paul and Barnabas? I don't. And so it leads me to conclude that that, make, that made a huge difference in the outcome. You know, they say it takes, it, there are really two things that test a marriage. Having kids and docking a boat. <laughs> so you can, if you've ever been at the boat launch, the boat ramp, or at a dock, you get to watch marriages fall apart right before your very eyes. And um, I know that when I'm docking boat, it's like I feel Cindy's tension go way up, my tension goes way up, and if it's choppy or anything, it's like, you know, is that really the pastor of Sunridge down there docking a boat? <laughs> Both of those, whether you're raising kids or bringing a, dock or a boat into a dock, it's both, it's, in both of those, it's really important that you work together, right? You got to cooperate with one another and the Holy Spirit must be present, even in docking a boat. So the next time you're having that dispute with your wife or your friend or your coworker, look for the fruit of the Spirit to spill out. And then I'd say, you have a pretty good count, uh, handle on your conflict. So lastly, uh, last question, is am I motivated by a desire to reconcile and restore? That's a biggie in a conflict. That is clearly the nature of Barnabas here, right? As the son of encouragement. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to give up on people. Don't you love that about him? But you know what's interesting? It seems like he's given up on Paul, doesn't it? So eventually it's clear that, um, that Paul doesn't completely give up on Barnabas and they, uh, or on John Mark, because they are reconciled later. And they end up working together in Paul's letter to Timothy, young pastor, in 2 Timothy 4.11. This is what he says. Only Luke is with me, the author of Acts. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So somewhere in that story, they get back together. So we can just assume that either it went badly, that they, they didn't have the spirit, or maybe the timing was just off for them, uh, Paul and Barnabas, in this conflict that they have in Acts 15. Maybe, maybe John Mark needed to prove a little more that you know, he was worthy of uh, Paul's confidence. I don't know. We're just speculating. But isn't it great to see that they got together in the end? And I think that that can only happen when 
when our goal in conflict is to be reconciled, to restore that relationship if possible. Um, it could have gone so much better, I think, in this situation, but you know, it's good to know that eventually they, they come back together. Because how we approach conflict makes all the difference in the world. If we're in it to win it, then, and our motivation is just to win, not to restore, then you can win it if you want. And uh, you'll get a notch in your conflict gun, or, uh, but you'll leave a wake of broken relationships. And I know I just mixed gun and boat metaphors. I'm aware of that. But I didn't want to say that you would leave behind a stack of dead bodies that you shot. But I said it. <laughs> you know, not everybody's meant to be best friends, right? We have different ideologies. Um, not everybody's meant to work together or to be in the same political party, for that matter, or to go to the same church, even. Uh, but it is important for us to remember that Jesus prayed for unity among his followers, John 17, that he said the main thing that will identify us as Jesus followers will be our love for one another and that each of us is made in the image of God. So whenever there's conflict, the ultimate goal for the Christian must be as much as lies within us to be reconciled and to be restored. And Jesus talked about how important that was in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. He said, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, you come to church, you're going to the synagogue, you're going to do this thing, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in the front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then come and offer your gift. So Jesus lays down like a, a priority, and it's our relationships with one another. And I don't know about you guys, but it seems like that's a lost virtue today. In fact, it's almost like we're elevating a virtue of not trying to reconcile and restore. And I just want to say, as gently but directly as, as a flawed human being who blows this all the time, uh, but I think it needs to be said, It's inexcusable that Christians act like that. And it's undermining our ability to touch people with the gospel. And it is sin. So how would the last conflict that you had look different if you had had as a goal to reconcile and restore that relationship? Good question. Um, that in your conflict, you saw your, your, one of your goals was to rescue them from the sin that has taken them over. Or you're able to see through the lens of restoring this relationship rather than the personal hurt or wrong that was inflicted upon you. Or you could, you could understand why they reacted the way they did. And your actions were meant to heal, not to hurt. I don't know, if I ran my conflicts through that, just that little grid, 
I think they'd be entirely different. Then you think about, what about not just Paul and Barnabas, but what about all their acquaintances that saw this happen? I wonder, did they contribute to the reconciliation of these two brothers? Because I know human, I, I know human behavior, because I am a human. Um, they, had, they could either kind of be a peacemaker or they could pour gas on it, right? And just take sides with their favorite person or their best friend. I wonder if they stood in the middle and saw their role as peacemaker and they were trying to pull both of them toward the middle. That's what it means for conflicts to be moving toward or motivated by reconciliation and restoration. That, that goal changes our approach and our reactions to people. On the back of your note sheet, uh, I've put, um, I've listed a few books that I think will help you if you struggle with conflict, as I do. And um, I have them all, so you might be asking, well, Britt, if you have them all and you've read them, why aren't you better at this? <laughs> That's a really good question. I don't know, but as the, as the band comes up, I want to I just talk about each one of them, if I could just spend a few minutes, because I think this is more than just like, conflict isn't, I mean, most of us want to do it well, we know, we know so many verses about it, and yet it's like, it's hard to process it, it's hard to do it well, depending on how you were raised, there's just so many things that affect it. So I want to tell you about some of these resources. One, the first one is called uh, Making Peace, that's what I've quoted from today, and that is a Christian perspective on just being a peacemaker, what it means. It's a really, really good book, and uh, in the preacher world, it's kind of like a classic. So if you're wanting to understand the, the, the theological underpinnings and get a really strong Christian perspective of what it means to work out conflict in a peacemaking way, get Van Ipperen's book. Then there's another one. It's not a Christian book. It's called Difficult, Difficult Conversations, and that's how to, like, tell somebody that they have to change their behavior. Like to have that, to, to be the person stepping in and kind of helping somebody make a correction. And then those same authors, at least two of them, they wrote a follow-up book that's called Thanks for the Feedback. And that's when you're on the other side. You know, sometimes we think about conflicts like how do you give it? But like they wrote a whole book on how to receive it, which that's really interesting. So, and then the last book is called the good fight, and that's how to like deal with conflict in your marriage, which I know none of you are doing because you're Christian couples and Christian families. So take advantage of those. Um, I think that they'll fill in a lot of the blanks that I'm not able to cover on one Sunday morning. You know, when I started out this talk, I said personal conflict is hard. It is. But I want to give you like a takeaway question as you just like contemplate this message this week. Um, I want you to just ask yourself, what conflict in my life right now deserves the most attention? Because it is so normal. I mean, we have them. So which one do you really want to prioritize? And when you do that, ask yourself these three questions that we've talked about today. Am I under the Lordship of Christ? 
Am I bearing the fruit of the Spirit? And is my ultimate goal restoration and reconciliation? Because in the end, that's what Jesus did, right? What is the gospel? The gospel is that human beings are broken. We're rebellious against God. We can't, you know, we can't figure our vertical relationships out, so we can't figure out our horizontal relationships. And we're fussing and fighting, warring. And all of that's going on in humanity. And God calls it sin. It's breaking his heart and breaking his laws at the same time. And he's like, how do I fix this? What can I do to change human beings and to move them toward the original plan that I had for them? And so Jesus Christ comes on the scene and he doesn't show up with a sword and, you know, blowing everybody away. He shows up and he heals people. And he tells them stories to help them understand God's love. And he spends time with them. And he coaches them. And um, he reveals to them the real nature of God and who, how God feels about human beings, which he loves them. He loves every one of us. And in the end, some people didn't like that. And they, they put him to death. And... In the middle of that, he says, God, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. I mean, that's, that's the gospel. That's the reason why you and I can say we're Christians today. It's because Jesus did that. If we could just capture a little bit of that today in conflicts that we have as we're driving on the freeway home today, in, in your family, and your and, and your in your marriage, in your friendships, at work, on the team that you're a part of, or it's like on your floor at your university or college. It's like if we could capture the spirit of Jesus, which is the spirit of the gospel, that is to bring reconciliation, to be, as Paul said, ministers of reconciliation in the world, as ambassadors of Jesus, what a difference that would make. Personal conflict's always going to be hard. But we can do it better. In fact, we can do it well. We can, in one more step, we could do it like Jesus did. Let's do that. Will you uh, stand and worship with us this morning? Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.